Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast. The Yes Collective is an emotional health studio run by the best therapists and psychologists around. Our team focuses on cutting edge approaches like internal family systems, somatic therapies, authentic relating, and trauma-informed experiential group practices. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook to learn more. I'm Justin Wilford, PhD, Director of Content and co-founder of Yes Collective. And each week I join my host, Jenny Walters, licensed therapist and co-CEO of Yes Collective to bring you the most amazing cutting edge therapists, psychologists, coaches, and other leaders in emotional health. Thanks so much for joining us and be sure to subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts. Before we get started, I want to let you know about an incredible four-week online program, we call them Studio Circles, that we're launching in the Yes Collective. It's the first live session on May 13th. This Studio Circle is all about creating authentic relationships. I and my colleagues designed this powerful four-week live program to teach you the fundamentals of authentic relating. Each week in our 90-minute live online sessions, we're gonna dive into new relationship ideas and skills, and then we get to practice them together. I guarantee you there is no better way to super boost every single relationship in your life. And you don't have to take my word for it. The last authentic relating studio circle we did was with a group of licensed therapists, people who do relational work for a living, and they loved it. In their testimonials, they called it transformative, impactful, nourishing, surprisingly deep but safe, and quote, a lot of fun. We'll be doing studio circles on new topics each month. In June, we'll be doing one on highly sensitive people, that is HSPs, and one on internal family systems. I'll put the link to join in the show notes. So one of the inspirations for this studio circle on creating authentic relationships is the practice of circling. It's a close cousin of authentic relating, but circling is more meditative, uh, slightly less structured. And today's guest is a world-class circling facilitator and relationship coach. Her name is Kathy Courtney, and I met her at an amazing retreat in Sedona last year. She helped lead the most beautiful circling session on the final day of the retreat, and it absolutely blew everyone away. I went into that final day with quite a lot of authentic relating experience, and I was still incredibly moved by the exercises that they led us through. On this podcast, we talked about what circling is and how it was discovered, how it creates deep relationships, how it builds greater self-awareness, and what it's like to go to a circling event. If you care about creating deeper relationships in your life, then you're going to love this episode. So without further ado, here is the wise and wonderful Kathy Courtney. just uh, helped facilitate a four-week authentic relating um, workshop for her group practice. So we just got it was done amazing. With that. So all of her amazing therapists oh. got to got to do this work, and it was yeah, very it was, cool. Very cool yeah, indeed. it was really really meaningful, and really um, it really shifted 
us from a group of therapists to a cohesive collective kind of energy. It was, it was really cool to witness. And I was just so happy we did it. Beautiful. That sounds wonderful. One of the cool things about that for four weeks is I went in thinking these therapists aren't going to be really interested in the relational practices because this is what they do. I mean, they, you know, they went to therapy school, you know, they're licensed. They do this work all the time. They're not going to be that interested. And so I kind of went in a little sheepish, but they loved it. And they really loved the experiential nature, which is really what circling is all all about. I mean, it's it's Mm -hmm. this experiential practice, very similar to what we did. And, um, oh my gosh. Yeah. It was, it was, it was fantastic. I know I was cynical as well. I was like, Justin, I don't know. Can we, can we maybe do one? I, cause I feel really mindful of their time commitments and avoiding burnout. And I thought, oh, we're going to have them come four times. They, they showed up so eagerly every week. And then at the end they said, we wish it wasn't ending. So we're already working on a part two <laughs> to bring in more. But, um, yeah, but talk more, if we can, we start the conversation about circling and it's, it's relationship to authentic relating. Yeah. Well, actually I would love to ask you, what do you think that key ingredient was that Justin offered in those, in that four weeks for, for your group of therapists, that was the game changer that had them compelled to be engaged. And like, what was the thing, if you could name it? Yeah, I think it was the experiential piece, the the invitation to uh, break out into you know into pairs and actually practice because the concepts and Justin said this at the beginning, you know, these aren't new concepts for therapists. You know, these are you know mindfulness and you know these these tenets of authenticity and and relating. Um, but when you put them together and you're then invited into a conversation with your coworker that you just normally wouldn't have. You, you just wouldn't, it wouldn't be structured in that way. You wouldn't have the the invitation. And then Justin models it. A lot of the feedback I got was just how wonderful you were, Justin, and modeling it and, and bringing oh. your own authenticity. <laughs> yeah. And so it was just such a lovely invitation. So any nerves going in, you know, um, cause it, not coincidentally, like 95% of the folks that work at my practice are highly sensitive people. So they, they can come in a little shy and a little, you know, reticent and, you know, they take time to kind of settle and transition. And, but you did such a wonderful job of, of, um, preparing that space and holding that space, Justin. And so, yeah, I think the experiential pieces was key. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. I wonder if these practices and Kathy, throughout this, I would like to check in with you. Do you feel like it's okay, that it's accurate enough to interchange circling and authentic relating, that they're close enough? Yeah, I think that there are some differences. Um, I would say that like, I would see authentic relating as the big umbrella and circling is sort of a particular practice within, within that umbrella that um, takes it further, I would say, but the actual tenets of like real time, reveal self, um, deep listening, um, curiosity, you know, really getting somebody's experience in their world. Circling takes it all a lot deeper and it's more Mm. layered, I would say. Okay. Oh, I can't wait to dive in. Well, so I, I I just asked because I wanted to say one thing about the HSP thing, which I, you know, I 
don't know if I d- identify fully as an HSP, but I definitely resonate with so much when Jenny talks about it. And I think, and so to hear Jenny say that, you know, most of uh, uh, the therapists in her practice also identify as HSPs and they really loved this four week authentic relating. I feel like these practices, authentic relating and then circling as well, they, I think they resonate for highly sensitive people because we're, provided a container through which we can go deep into relationships with other people. And that when we're out in the wild and before we learn any of these practices or skills, it's like, it's kind of overwhelming. It's a lot like I want to connect. I want to reveal, I want to go deep, but I, it's like, there's too many variables. There's too much going on. And that what these practices do is they give us some guardrails and just a a little bit of of a container and then we can feel safe going deep. Totally. I mean, let's just face it. Intimacy relating, looking at another human's face and like opening your mouth and speaking what's true. (laughs) All of those things are generally anxiety producing. It's like this weird existential thing that But you're absolutely right to take a container and have some guidelines about and agreements about how we're going to be relating to each other drops a whole level, like it drops a lot of concern and some of our neuroses that's just naturally there and like allows a little bit of a nervous system like, okay. And it's still, it still evokes anxiety, it still brings up fear, you know, all the things, but there's permission within that container to really allow for that. Like everything is welcome. Mm. So it does. I think that whole idea of creating container around relating is I'm a huge proponent of that in many different ways. I think it really sets us up for an ability to relax into the moment. So, Kathy, I have an assumption that you were not born with these uh, circling, uh, deep, <laughs> relating skills. I thought you were going to say you have an assumption that she was not born here. And I, just based on her accent, <laughs> I was oh. like, I think it might be a fair <laughs> assumption. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell, us, tell us more about the Well, this might lead in. in that, but I, I was I was like, so I have an assumption that you, you know, as a young child, were not born just, you know, coming out with all of the authentic relating circling skills and that at some point in your life, you had to learn skills. And so I'm curious (laughs) um, if, well, first, I guess I just want to check that assumption. Yes. Well, I would say both, uh, both things that you both said will tie in because I was born in South Africa and my family um, at that time, when I was born to South Africa, there was a strong British influence. Um, You know, we were a colony up until the sixties blah, 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 like just that whole British lineage. Everything's very polite, all about appearance. Um, You know, learning to ask questions more out of politeness than actual general curiosity. Um, So I grew up in a family. It's funny. My story is that like I was keenly aware from a very, very young age at all the things that were not being said. And like the energies and the dynamics and and 
you know, the, the, the elephant in the room that was always there. And it was painful for me. And I didn't know yet exactly why it was almost, you know, before we actually have the cognition of what's happening, it just felt painful for me. And I was keenly attuned to everyone in the household. And, and no, I did not grow up learning to speak in this way. But I remember the very first time it was actually one of my ex-boyfriends introduced me. He took me to a like a weekend workshop in circling. And I remember sitting in that container and thinking like, oh my God, there's a way of being, there's a way of relating, of communicating that I feel like I've always wanted or maybe even naturally practiced in certain realms, you know, prior to that, I'd already like studied a whole four works, uh, four year somatic training. So I was already like in the world of self-development and holding space for people and all that kind of stuff. But this particular technology and how, how the, you know, exercises are set up and this way of communicating really fit so naturally for me, it was strange. It was like, oh, I have been waiting for this. This is so natural. And there's a thing that we can do and help other people to do that too. And then from that point until now, it's just been an ever unfolding progression and expansion such that like now most of my relating and even, you know, with my children and a lot of my relating feels similar to how I show up in the circling context. So it's been quite an evolution. For folks who don't know, what is circling? Can you just sort of paint a picture for us? Yes. It's so funny. My definition of circling changes almost every time I talk about it. And that's what I love. It's like this ever evolving technology, but circling, basically what it is, is some people refer to it as a relational meditation. In circling, we welcome whatever is arising. There's no fixing, there's no changing, there's no advising. And we tend to sit in a group of small people. I mean, a small group of people, like maybe four to six. And for 45 minutes or so, we're getting one person's world. So what we're doing is first and foremost, paying attention to what my experience is while I'm being with you. So that takes a certain, you know, people come from different levels of sovereignty or access to their own experience and what's happening for them. So we're paying attention to that at the same time, getting really curious about how is your world occurring to you moment by moment. So as a facilitator, I'm following my curiosity. I'm sharing impact of what it's like for me and the hearing of you and being with you. We're slowing down and we're paying attention to the nuances in the space between us. And then in the other participants too, we'll be sharing, oh, when I heard you say that, this is what came up for me. And we're, we're revealing ourselves. So moment to moment, we're in this inquiry around what is actually unfolding and emerging in this relational field between you and me and the participants. So it can be really um, 
it kind of, to me, sometimes it reminds me of looking under a microscope and seeing an entire world. Like if you're looking at a cell or tissue and an entire world starts to open up, because I think there's all this information that's being passed between us all the time, but most of the time we don't even pay attention to it. There's so much happening that, I mean, it would be impossible for us to pay attention to all of it and still function. But to sit in this container and to get really curious and watch the unfolding and be in an inquiry of what's wanting to emerge, I hope that's not too complicated. But for me, that's the juice of circling. It, it's the sense of paying attention to what's alive. It's really helpful. And, and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what do people, what might someone experience in that? What, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about this, I think in the last podcast, Justin, sort of folks new to things wanting to know, well, why, why should I do mindfulness? Why should I, you know, so I'm curious yeah. if you could speak to kind of the why for circling for people. Sure. There's so many levels of that. I think it's like the, if I was to go to the tip of the iceberg, it would be most of us, pretty much most people that I've come upon feel deeply unseen and unheard. And let's just add to that, like the last several years of the pandemic, I mean, we were already in an epidemic of loneliness and disconnection. And then we had the pandemic. And I think that just sort of, you know, remote work and having less in-person, in-the-moment FaceTime with people. So first level, dropping in, opening up to connection, allowing whatever is there with us to be seen and heard, to be in a space where I don't have to, you know, play this particular role or hide this sort of exiled part of myself or, um, you know, I can have the empathetic witness of these other people that are practicing under the same tenets and agreements. And so much comes just from that first level. And then I would say what I've seen over time. So there's a couple things. There's like in in the moment feedback, we don't often get that. Like, oh, being with you, I feel real like energized and alive or gosh, the way you're showing up feels like this over here. You know, we don't, we don't get that kind of feedback often. So you get to see yourself in the witness of other. You get to become more of you in the witness of other all the time. So that develops. And if you continue over time, I've also seen that it creates almost a sense of secure attachment. Not a lot of people talk about that aspect of it, but I've seen people over the course of months, years, multiple years, really shift their nervous system patterning, Mm -hmm. their attachments. Yeah. And so, you know, there's so many different layers to that. Um, And I'm going to pause there and see if you want any clarification or have any thoughts on that. It makes me think about how often folks come in with social anxiety and I can just imagine this practice of being relational, being social, quote unquote, um, and something different getting to unfold. 
and some, you know, yeah. and getting to slow it down and just like you're saying, reset the nervous system. I could imagine that being really powerful, which to me, secure attachment would be the antidote for social anxiety, you know, to yeah. know that. And yeah. Sorry, I was going to just say, this is a perfect example because yes, so many people have social anxiety. And I think part of the struggle with social anxiety is being in the resistance of it happening mm-hmm. and like the pretense of like trying to pretend that's not actually happening. And then how that just creates more anxiety. It's like that positive feedback loop. But imagine what it could be like to, for somebody to say, well, okay, what is it feeling like in your body right now? Like, what are you noticing? And there's complete allowance for that anxiety to be there. Mm-hmm. And instead of having it to be something different, it's more like, oh, let's get curious about this. Like, what is it actually really like for you right now? Mm-hmm. It's just a game changer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the <clears throat> the first, my my introduction to any of this stuff was through authentic relating. And I took my first authentic relating training course several years ago. And <clears throat> the first practice we learned was welcome everything welcome everything. And it was like, now I, I, uh, when I teach this, this work and I facilitate it, it, it seems so simple and so wonderful and true at the time. It was like a real bomb of like, welcome everything. Even this like pounding anxiety in my chest, even the fear of that, you know, that I'm, that I'm here, um, welcome everything. And, so I resonate so much with what you just said, because when we start to welcome literally everything there, yeah, that like our nervous system, our mind starts to really calm down. Like, oh, I, yeah, I yeah. find that transparency such a load off. I just find it so like, uh, like an exhale. I, and I know it makes mm-hmm. some people, it makes people nervous, but I always feel I, I just, yeah, it just feels like we can be in reality and, um, and, and be in with what is, and chances are a lot of people feel the same way, which yeah. is the other oh, thing yeah. that happens where it gets to be normalized and validated. I'm, I'm guessing that's when my experience of when, especially when we share anxiety, it's like, oh, me too. And then mm-hmm. ah, we sort of co-regulate a little like, oh, we're human, you know? <laughs> Definitely. And that transparency, um, often, I don't know what you've experienced, Jenny, but it brings more connection. Yeah, even absolutely. Even if it's the hard thing to say, you know, even if it's yeah. like, oh, I'm experiencing you right now, I feel closed off to you. Or when you just said that, you know, I felt myself con- con- contract. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Well, let's get curious about that. Like it just creates this um, invitation to more understanding and to actually name the things that are in the field anyway. Yeah. And once we put them on the table, we get to look at them. And sometimes it's like, even in the naming of it, it dispels mm, the yeah. the charge yeah. of it. Mm-hmm. And then we get to recognize our, hu- our shared humanity. Yeah. And, um, I can't help but to think that that's like the the medicine for so much so much dissonance, disconnection, polarization. I couldn't agree more. And as you say that, and and you're describing what happens, you know, my my foundation and as a therapist was in psychodynamic relational therapy, where the relationship was the thing 
that we use to understand and um and everything you just named is it's such a relief to be able to just say hey i'm noticing this you know to just tell the truth with love and uh and the and and those things that we might be afraid to reflect uh once we do it just the freedom the liberation like oh that's it's not i always say it's just grist for the mill you know it's not bad it's not good it's just here it is with us and now we can be in some understanding around it a relationship so it's really cool to think of that getting to take that one on one into this more into this to reach more people and and have a more of a group experience with it mhm and i love the naming piece cuz what is going on in my mind right now is thinking about social anxiety and how at least in my experience, so much of social anxiety is around assumption layered on assumption, layered on assumption of like, oh, they're th- they might be thinking this and I might need to show up in this way. And then they might think this. And then, and then it's like, it's, it's like this long, you know, algorithmic equation that just gets longer and longer and the anxiety builds and builds. And that when it's named and put on the table, as you said, Kathy, it's like, ah. Oh. All right, here it is. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. One of the exercises, and you probably do this one as well. And uh, I think we did it in Sedona when when I met you, Justin. Um, was you know like I'm noticing X, the the objective truth. You know, I'm noticing you turned your head to the right. I'm noticing you're nodding. Um, there's no interpretation there. And the story I'm making up about it is, and this is how I feel about it. And then what's actually happening with you. And you think about like all of our interactions in a day, how many times we see something and without even realizing it, we make an interpretation, but without knowing that it's an interpretation, we actually make it a truth. And then like this is happening, you know, like an assumption, I suppose. And then there's an entire cascade of emotional responses and then there's action and so on and so forth. And you think about, I work with couples and, you know, the amount of assumptions and the times that that happens in the small micro moments in a household mm-hmm. and, and the disconnection that creates. And when I teach my couples to like really slow down and, and, um, articulated in the self-owned way of the the story I made up about this objective truth, it really, that too is a game changer. You know, you, you can, we can make these misinterpretations all day long. And what I love about these practices is that like, that's a really concrete tool that we can use just in our like everyday relationships. It'd be, um, I don't think I've, I've used that exact phrasing, but now, cause I think that was the first time that I'd heard it in that way, but now I, I, I think I'm really going to use it in my relationship with my wife and like, all right. So, so, <laughs> right. So I'm noticing X, right. So it begins with, with like the, here is, here is something that I, that I see, right. Yes. So it could be like, when X happened, yes, yeah. So when you walked into the kitchen and opened the cupboard for a coffee mug, and then you looked over your shoulder at me, the story I made up is that you're still mad at me about our interaction yesterday. 
and I felt sad and I noticed I pulled away. Yeah. So it's like, what, what happened inside of me in response to that story I made up? And then what was actually happening for you? Oh my God, I was just thinking about, you know, this email I haven't responded to from work and I'm feeling stressed about it. Oh, okay. Ha ha ha. Hug, kiss, and then move on. <laughs> Yeah. Or I was actually upset at you for something totally different. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Let's make some time to talk about that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, I yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it is this very uh, like concrete tool, but that then leads into so much depth. It's just like, oh, this whole, this whole world now that it was inside of me has now been like opened. We, it's now on the table here. Yes. Oh, that's beautiful. So I want to take uh, a few steps back because I'm curious, uh, what is your understanding of, of where circling came from? I've, yeah. I, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll put one little note here that Guy Sangstock, who, whom you were at, uh, with uh, in Sedona, uh, I heard him give a little bit of a history about this um, it's really fascinating because it feels like these these things should have been around for you know a hundred years or, or or so, but the history isn't isn't that long. Yeah, well, I think it probably is a way that people naturally have been together. But the actual circling method um, began apparently. This is the myth. So Guy and his friends were at Burning Man, <laughs> probably <Naturally. laughs> tripping on acid. Yeah. as the story goes, and they were in their camp, and it was he and his friend Jerry and a couple other guys, and there was some conflict that arose. And so there they were in their camp uh, working out this conflict. And all of a sudden, one of them was like, wait, what is that thing that we just did? What just happened there? Because they started to work this process out kind of, as as it was emerging, you know, the, this this thing that we call circling, which is probably just a natural way of being together, started to come through them. And then they started to look at it and say, what was that thing we just did? And then it was, let's try this again. And so it started to develop in California around Guy and his friend Jerry, and they, they did all kinds of men's groups. And then it became something called um, Aletheia, and then it, you know, it, it just continued to evolve. And then Guy um, founded the Circling Institute. And then there were some people that originally started off with Guy that spread out. And, you know, now we have Circling Europe. And then there were the guys at the Integral Center in Boulder. And, you know, and then it just started to spread and evolve. So that's, that's where the that's the myth as I know it. <laughs> yeah. I love, I mean, I, I love the history of, of this. Yeah. That, yeah, that it, that it emerged that it just like when right. we slow down and we start to see what's here and uh, yeah. That, um, now I'm curious if we could relate it up again to authentic relating. So for you, you were saying authentic relating is kind of a broader set of practices circling takes us deeper. Can you say more about that? Yeah. So as you know, in authentic relating, um, we take people through kind of these contained 
exercises of helping people to drop into what's true and reveal themselves and go back and forth and all that kind of thing, um, which I absolutely adore. Circling is um, how it's how it's different, I think, is that there is this particular way and set of rules and kind of ways of being with each other where we are following a thread that goes deeper and deeper and deeper into how the world is literally occurring to someone. So it can, there's actually, um, from the methodology that I've studied, there's different stages of a circle. So one of the pieces is the first stage is sovereignty. Like I have an experience that, you know, I'm having an experience here. I know how to speak it. I'm my own, you know, unto myself being. Um, and I, and then there is, I start to explore your world. So there's explorer and I follow my curiosity. I'm paraphrasing. I'm, I'm trying to understand your experience until it really makes sense to me. And that's where the validation comes in. Then at some point when you go on that journey, some kind of like dissonance might occur. So it could be that someone is saying something like they're happy or something's, you know, joyful to them, but actually they're not looking happy at all. And so you, you, you name the dissonance or there could be some interrelational dissonance. Like I'm not feeling you or I'm, you know, I'm noticing this pattern emerging. And so we name it and it's, it, that's the warrior moment where we name the dissonance. And usually when we name the dissonance, it sort of stops the person. They, they are present to the unseen that they've been trying to keep in the unseen and it becomes seen, it becomes more explicit. And then typically the emotions start to come and we call that deep sea diver. And we really hold space for someone to feel fully the full scope of their emotions. And we hold space for that. Mm. Then once mm. that process is complete, then there's usually a moment where like something, it's like when the subject becomes object and they look out and you can almost see there's like this new, they're seeing something different. Mm. We call that midwife. And we really, again, like name that and hold space for that moment. And then we go into integrating what just happened. Well, how does your life look different now that, you know, you, you get that your mother wasn't a bitch after all, <laughs> you know, like whatever the thing is that's seen, yeah, yeah, it's like a perspective yeah. pop, you know? Mm. And um, so that's like the full scope of what we call a birthday circle, where we're really giving all of our attention and curiosity to one, one person. Does that help? Yeah, very much so. And that yeah. process might unfold in one circling, or is, are you, is that something that we're going to typically see over many meetings, many that circles? That typically happens in one circle. Now, you don't always get to every part of the stage, um, and it doesn't always happen exactly in that order, but, um, but you typically see that process through one circle of 45 minutes or so. Gotcha. Yeah. I think you mentioned this before, the idea of like a, a relational meditation or a social meditation. And that, that I feel like 
circling really captures that in a way that authentic relating can 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 capture this but as you said it's more around the specific exercises and games and the breakouts um so that's a difference that yeah. i'm queuing in on yeah the also the the other thing about it as a participant as a witness as a you know someone in the circle that's not necessarily getting the the attention per se you get to be with your own process of what is it like to be with this person and sometimes they go into you know the depth of despair sometimes they're angry sometimes you know a range of of emotions can show up and experiences and then you get to watch like when you feel that urge to want to change their experience or make them feel better or mm. what is that trigger in you mm-hmm. and you get to deeply be with that too so it's not you know although we think you know it's kind of set up like if it, if it were group it's not group therapy and and that's the important distinction because some people will come thinking it's group therapy but it's not it's like there's no agenda there's no agenda to heal. There's no agenda to get anywhere. So, um, you know, a byproduct might be healing and connection and all that, all the good stuff, but it's not the agenda. So in the process of being with that, you get to really have your own experience too and see all the places where you might go usually. And it's, it's very revealing. I'm wondering if you can say a few words about what it would be like to come to a circling event with you. If you were to lead a circling event and I show up now, I have had the great fortune of actually doing this in Sedona with you. But I wonder if you could just walk the listener through what what would what would they expect? So they so they come in. There's other people there. Then what? <laughs> so everybody <laughs> sits down in a backjack around a circle and typically I begin an evening by um doing a meditation to help everybody ground into their into themselves and into the space and to bring presence forward and mindfulness. Then I'll go around the 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 circle and have people say their name and I usually offer a sentence stem to get us going. So one of the ones I used recently that I really enjoyed hearing was um, a coping strategy that I learned as a child that now has become my superpower is. And so everyone would share that. So right away, you're getting to hear everyone and it it already starts to create this um, space of authenticity and, you know, aliveness and all the things. Then I'll typically do one to two smaller dyad or triad exercises to start to build the muscles and the muscles of self-revealing, like I'm noticing, I'm imagining, I'm feeling. So getting people in the practice of what it's like to to reveal and own their experience and, and sort of break these things down. Then I might dive into a little deeper exercise where they're developing more of their curiosity and listening muscle. Then we'll take a break and then we'll come back and split up into smaller groups and there'll be a facilitator in each group. And one person will get one of those 45 minute, you know, practices of the actual circling. 
we'll come together and share as a group and, you know, what are you learning about yourself? What's the impact? What did you notice? And so that's, that's typically what will happen in an evening of circling. I was just going to ask what it was like for you. For me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm noticing that I would love to witness a birthday circle. I've, I've never, I've, ne- I've never witnessed that. And, uh, and, and so that wasn't part. Yeah. We, we, we weren't able to do that in Sedona, but I will say, um, it was, oh, it was fantastic. Um, you and you and guy just did an amazing job and, I think I was the oh, I was one of the very few people there who had experiences well mine were all in authentic relating but because it's so close I was I I felt like oh this is I mean this is this is my jam and yeah. and as we would go around and connect in different dyads and triads I I I sensed my experience was that <laughs> other people were like kind of blown out or just like, are you kidding? Like, what is happening right now? Like, this is uh, like, is it okay for me to reveal? Like, is it like, and I mean, like tears, I mean, like mm-hmm. pe- people, cause there were 200 people at this retreat. And so I had met maybe, I don't know, a couple dozen before this. So there were so many more whom I've never met and I would be paired, paired up and we'd be like, crying after 30 seconds. And, and, um, and then for me, it's, it's like, well, hell yeah, this is what this, like, this is, this is what I signed up for, but I could tell the other person or I, I again, okay. So my, my assumption with the other person was like, kind of like, what is happening here right now? What, like, what is this, what is this practice? And that, I, that's, that was actually born out because I was able to, to talk with, um, Eric Godsey, um, later about this, who's one of the people who run the, uh, these retreats. And he said, out of all of the things that they did over the course of five days, and there were, there were many, many different workshops and practices and some amazing stuff there. But he, he said out of all of them, this was the number one thing that people wanted back. And oh. like, it was, it was their like top top choice out of, out of That's everything. Awesome. That yeah. I love hearing that. So I got to go back and open the whole thing last time. Um, because they, you know, it was a good way to start. It's a beautiful way to begin an in-person retreat of any kind, because it creates this like cohesiveness, like you said, Jenny, like a sense of cohesiveness that everything else can open up into. Um, so yeah, and it was so great to meet you there, Justin. You were such a bright, shining light there. Uh, in Sedona. you have to tell you have to tell everyone what retreat this is because people we don't no one yes. knows what you're talking <laughs> what you're talking so about. We're so refer- we're- <laughs> thank you, Jenny. We're referring to Fit for Service, um, okay. which is an organization uh, through Aubrey Marcus, and it's beautiful. He brings all kinds of thought leaders and transformative workshops for the members. And it's, it's really the, the ethos is lovely behind it all. And that's, that's what Justin and I are referring to. That's where you met. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was, um, it was a beautiful practice, uh, or a, um, a beautiful day. And so, yeah, the only thing I'm, left with now is, oh, I've got to go to one of these where we get to do some birthday circles. Cause that, that sounds, that sounds awesome. Well, we yeah. could do a birthday circle with one of you 
for a podcast another time or, or just for fun? Let's, oh, hey, uh, let's actually uh, commit. Well, Jenny, how do you feel about doing um, a birthday circle? <laughs> Jenny, on a, what's on a it like being podcast? you right now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Um, no, I notice Justin often um, invites me toward things that I initially feel some fear around, but I, but it's a kind of fear that I've noticed in life is the kind of fear I like to turn toward and is usually really quite rich. It's not like a something, it's not like an I'm not safe kind of a fear. It's more like a, ooh, <laughs> what's gonna happen? You know? Um, especially, you know, uh when it's being recorded and, you know, shared at large, it adds another layer. There's, you know, there's a certain part of me that is um performing when we, you know, do these podcasts. I mean, I try it as much as I can to be as authentic as possible, but I'm absolutely aware that this is being recorded. So kind of walk that line. So that's, what's coming up for me as you say that it's like, Ooh, and also like, yeah, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, that sounds like aliveness to me. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'll take that. Yeah, Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, one of the, one of the things that just came up, Jenny, when you were talking for me is, Aubrey Marcus has actually been an inspiration in this way of how, how vulnerable and authentic he can be in front of a huge audience or on his podcast or at this retreat. And it's been an inspiration of like, Oh, you can get that vulnerable. Like, uh, and it's okay. Like you're allowed to do that. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's been, um, it's been a big, um, learning for me. I, I'm still not there. Jenny, I share that. Yeah. That like, but just I don't know, like Justin, you, I, I like to turn toward it. Yeah. Yeah. And I experience you as, as being very vulnerable in these conversations. So I think we have to give you more credit and I'm going to give myself more credit as well. I do. I think we, <laughs> we, you know, I think, um, <clears throat> I always try to be mindful too, of there's, there's a way I think that sometimes folks can feel like they're being vulnerable, but it, especially with social media, it, it, Oh yeah. I don't, you know, where it's sort of like, you know, when you're with someone and when someone's being truly vulnerable, the way I feel is, um, like I said, that kind of exhale, there's like a relief, there's an authenticity that I can just kind of vibe with, even if it's difficult. And then there are some times where it feels like it's not actual vulnerability, like something else is happening in that moment. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I do. I do. I think I, what, what you might be referring to or what comes up for me when I, I I sometimes have the question of like, what is the intention behind this? Yeah. Like, is this, you know, I can be vulnerable for, um, because it feels you know, 100% authentic, and I'm attuned to what's happening right here. And it feels, you know, there's that vulnerability. And then there's like, oh, I can be vulnerable to manipulate you to get something from you. Yeah. And this, this, what this brings up an important point in circling what we really focus on is um, there's this woman named Susan Campbell, who wrote Oh, she's written so many great books, but I would look her up. If anybody is interested in what we're talking about, she's a great place to start. Anyway, she talks about the difference of communicating to relate versus communicating to control. Wow. Yeah. 
And it's huge. So uh, we've been conditioned to communicate, to get needs met, to manipulate how you see me. Um, you know, there, there's countless ways that we can use communication for manipulation or control. When we communicate to relate, we reveal what's here and we let go and embrace what comes next. We have no attachment mm -hmm. to the outcome. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's, there's, I think it's about knowing where you come from is and being mm -hmm. honest about that. That's so orienting to have named. Thank you. It's just, um, mm -hmm. it makes me think, uh, I work with a lot of adult children of parents who were emotionally immature, their own trauma, you know, that came out in, in manipulative ways and reactive ways. And this is so much work for them is, is exactly what you just named, not just for themselves, but in relate trusting others and being able to decipher when they are in relationship, when they're feeling manipulated, but, and when it's coming from that intention of wanting to relate be able right. to tell the difference, because when you're when you've had that from a parent your whole life who has been doing it from a manipulative place, it's really confusing. So it I could does. just imagine circling being such a reparative, such mm. a reparative experience for folks who grew up with that Definitely. kind of parenting. Definitely. That's a really good point. Mm. Yeah, really good point. So Kathy, I'm curious if you could say a few more words about your work with couples. So I, I know how this stuff works in, in groups. And so I'm really cu curious what ha happens in, in your work with couples. Thanks, Justin. Um, so my work with couples is actually, I use a combination of the circling skills are always there. I use it in all my contexts, but I also use, um, I don't know if either of you are familiar with RLT, Relational Life Therapy. It's Terry Reel's model. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm certified um, in that. And so I, it's a beautiful, very symbiotic um, with circling because as the coach, in my case, um, I'm not a therapist, I'm a coach. I, it's relational. It's relational first. So I'm being relational with with my couples. So I may even in a session say to one of them, you know, wow, I'm noticing right now that I'm feeling um, controlled in this dynamic. So it it's like, it's an indicator. I'm using my own response and experience as to feel how it might feel for the spouse or for the, you know, the dynamic that's happening there, I might even feel it and reveal it. You know, it's, it's mm. another feedback tool. Um, and then I also in, in the skill building and the relational skill building that when I get to that part or that phase in my couple's work, I use a lot of these circling skills to teach them how to, really listen to each other, how to hold space for each other, how to have the difficult conversations. Um, so yeah, I, I use both of those, both of those modalities um, when I work with my couples. Yeah. And it seems to be very effective. That's what I love about the, um, that's such a cool combination because Ter Terry real stuff is so, I love that he tells the truth. I just love that there's something in couples work where when you're coming up in that, you can be trained to sort of have to keep everything neutral all of the exactly. time. Exactly. 
And it's just not. It's not neutral. Mm -mm. It's charged. And sometimes it's more charged over here than it is over here. And it's such a relief to just be able to to name it. And so I love that his work gives such a structure. But in the combination with circling, I can imagine that's really powerful for couples. So are you accepting clients? We'll we'll send people (laughs) your way. Oh, I absolutely am accepting clients. And um, I work with people from all over the place over Zoom. And um, yeah, I love it. And I I really believe that, um, not to go too far down this road because it's not the topic here, but I feel like that relational work is revolutionary. Like, because once I can learn to be more relational with the person I'm living with, mm. then it starts to ripple out. Then I'm more relational, you know, hopefully with my children and my friends and my community members. And it starts to have this ripple effect. And then, you know, when I go even bigger, it's like how to be more relational with the planet, <laughs> with everything. <laughs> Um, And to really understand our interdependence and how we're more of an us than a me and a you. Like we we have such an individualistic society, but, but really that's not like that needs to go. You know, we, there's so many things falling apart and so many signs telling us that we need to really shift Mm -hmm. our come from and to be more relational with everything. Absolutely. Yeah, I found that when I started uh, the authentic relating training, um, it was, I mean, my initial pull in was like, oh, I i mean, I just love the fact that I'm in this container now and I can name my social anxiety or I can name whatever's here. Like, so it just started individually and I just loved playing the the AR games and, and doing all the practices. And then I did a training with my wife and it was like, oh my God, this is transforming our relationship. But then quickly it was like, oh, then now it's transforming my relationship with my kids. And now it's transforming my relationship with my colleagues and now friends. And, and so I had the, the experience that you named is I'm like resonating because it's my experience. (laughs) Yeah. It just just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. Yeah. That is so awesome. It reminds me a few weeks ago, I was part of a retreat. I was facilitating a retreat and one of the other facilitators, we got to spend a lot of time to get, like when we had downtime, it was just the two of us. And I, I knew her a little, but I was getting to know her better. And I happened to be going through a really, really tough time. There was just a lot of, just, just a lot of life stressors had hit all at once. And I just didn't feel my, myself, you know, my capital S self and just having a really hard time. And we got into these, you know, conversations and I found myself just not able to be anything other than where I was, which was very tearful and very um, just in a lot of grief. And she held the space in such a great way. She didn't try to fix it or give me advice or any of these things. And at a certain point, I felt self-conscious, like, oh, I'm dump, you know, I'm dumping or I'm putting too much or, you know, I felt that part of me that wants to apologize for, for what is with myself. And she told me that she had spent the better part of the pandemic in a circle with, um, I think Dan Siegel, it was a group with him and some other people. He's one of her good friends. And she's like, and I learned to, to, to let my caretaker part step back. And I learned how to just be in space with others and hold whatever is without trying to fix it, without trying to advise, without trying to She's like, and it allowed me to 
be so much more generous and open with others because I don't get burned out and I don't get overwhelmed by whatever it is they're bringing in. And I really felt that in her presence and that energy. And I could, I, you know, I believed her and I, it was, it allowed me to let that part that wanted to apologize, that felt shame and embarrassment Mm -hmm. for how emotional I was with someone I didn't know that well. Oh my God. It was such a beautiful reparative moment for me personally. And I just have to think that her practice had so much to do with it. And I don't know that it was officially circling, Mm -hmm. but it, it feels like it was so much, some of the same tenants. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a beautiful story. And it, it's so deep that um, the healing power of that fully empathetic witness mm-hmm. to an experience. And, and I love what you said about creating burnout, because I know a lot of therapists are, I mean, it's been a rough time for therapists, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Most therapists I know their practices have been overloaded. They've had to turn people away. And um, yeah. But but that that feeling of like not having to actually do anything about it, but to just yeah. allow the space for it, and it can actually be this beautiful reciprocal um, gift to just be in the flow of that yeah. and not yeah. have to actually like muscle anything or feel responsible yeah. for something. And that mm. is that is the healing thing, you know. I mean that. Yeah. It. Feels counterintuitive, but it is. It is. It's. It's the thing. It's the. It's the sweet spot. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I have to say, when you were saying that it's been a tough time for therapists, I had clients who you know suddenly weren't working and were like learning how to bake bread, and meanwhile we were just like so overworked, and I was having so many fans. I was like, God, what's it like to learn how to bake bread right now? (laughs) (laughs) Take out a hobby. (laughs) Yes, I know. Yeah. So Kathy, is there anything uh, in your life now that's, that's new and challenging that you're working on? Anything that's just new and pushing you at your edges right now? Well, here's a vulnerable moment. I think, I mean, what has been interesting, like I would say most present with me now is I feel I'm on a threshold of sorts that is showing up in many different ways, but one of the ways it's showing up is in my in my purpose work and my work in the world i have kind of entered a new realm of you know here i am like i just got the speaking of the fit for service thing i just saw the lineup for our next summit in montana and i'm listed as a guest speaker next to like you know famous football player aaron rodgers and dirt wire and like you know, an actor. And I'm like, whoa, imposter syndrome, imposter syndrome. Like, how did I make it there? Um, and I know I like my higher self trusts that there is something, there's a way of being that I have and that, you know, I'm meant to be there. There's something that I'm bringing in my medicine. While at the same time, there's the younger sort of you know, more old belief, the, 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 the parts that I haven't yet quite, you know, healed and, um, fully, you know, integrated or that, that still want to tell me like, who are you to think you can do this? You know, the self doubt, the negative talk, the, the part of me that wants to apologize for taking up too much space. 
all that old bullshit that, you know, has protected me. They've been protectors. If we, you know, from a kind of more parts workplace, um, but there's no space for that anymore. Like if I'm really to do my work in the world and be a, a vehicle or a vessel for what wants to come through, I need to, you know, like it's that edge of really releasing that and completing that healing and mm. stepping into this new territory and o- sort of owning, owning my gifts, owning what wants to come through. Yeah. without attaching to like ego parts, you know, the, the ego that wants to do its funny little dance. Mm. I resonate As you with say that. that I, yeah, I do too. As you say that, I, I'm wondering, does it feel sort of like your experience that you just described is in a way a reflection of the thing you named earlier about us needing to move out of the individualistic to the collective? Like that is the yeah. work and the work yeah, in order to do that, yes. we need the healers, feelers, and seekers to step into their power, yes. but not from an ego place. Right. More like, I've got goosies when you just said that. Yeah, from a, and it's not just the healers and the, you know, the seekers and the, the way showers. It's everyone, like the, mm-hmm. the essence of who we are and, and finding the freedom from all the limitations of our, you know, our come froms, our ancestry, our conditioning, you name it, all of that, like that to stay in those places, in, to, in those prisons that we create for ourselves that keep us small is just, there's no time for that anymore. Mm-hmm. That's just how it feels like. That feels like a selfish, self-absorbed place to stay, just Mm. speaking for myself. Mm -hmm. And so if I really am connected to this greater need in humanity, it's like, it's time to, it's time to release. It's time to, you know, purify all of that stuff that's in the way still. Mm -hmm. And man, does it still show up? Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Maybe it always does. It's just our relationship to it that that shifts over time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it resonates so much for me. And uh, you know, I, I do a lot of work in internal family systems, and so the way that you related that to parts, it absolutely connects for me. Yeah, and and that really, <clears throat> the goal is at least in my work <clears throat> is around. As you, as you said, healing these parts, letting, uh, you know, helping them let go of the burdens from the past, then these parts can come in and be led by spirit or capital S self or source or whatever it is. That's that's when that's when we're clicking. That's when it's really going. Yeah. Yeah, and you know that feeling when it's all in flow state, and we are. Um, I'll just speak for myself. When I have had those experiences of feeling more like in that space, it is just beautiful. There's nothing that can replace that. Those moments, mm-hmm. it feels like, okay, I could die now um, and feel complete. Like, yeah, yeah. so. Um, yeah, beautiful. It's exciting. <sighs> 
So Kathy, how can listeners find out more about you, find out more about your work? Well, they could go to my website, which I'm sure you'll probably link in the show notes, but it's kathycourtney.com. And they can find me on Instagram, Kathy Courtney. And um, those are probably two of the best ways to, to find me. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. So we have three final questions we ask every guest, so just quick fires. So the first one is, if you could put a post-it note on every person's refrigerator tomorrow morning, they wake up, they see this post-it note from Kathy, what would it say? That's a hard one. You know, I thought about this. I think the thing I would say is, what are you doing today for your own radiance? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. And then is there a recent quote that changed the way you think or feel? Well, I think um, one of the things that I heard recently in my breathwork training that I just completed was about, um, it's actually a P from Peter Levine, but the direct quote is, trauma is not what happens to, to us, but what we hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. Mm. Speaking again to the power of the witness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think just remembering, you know, we all are working so hard to do this work. and But just the fact of being an empathetic witness, if Gosh. that's all I did, it's mm -hmm. enough. Wow. Amen. Yeah. And then what's one thing giving you hope right now? Oh, my goodness. My children. And watching how incredible they are and how quickly they transform things and how emotionally intelligent they are and smart. And I see that in a lot of young people. So that gives me a lot of hope right now. Oh, thank you so much. This was been this has been just a absolute joy. Uh and I love that we have now set a commitment to have you back on to do a birthday circle. <laughs> if, Jenny, if Jenny agrees, Jenny has I'm to in. check in with Jenny. I mean, good. That would be really fun. Awesome. <laughs> it's been uh, such a delight to be with both of you. I'm thank really you grateful so for all the work you're doing. Um, yeah. You thank too. you for being you here. Too. It's been really wonderful. So glad to meet you. You too, Jenny. And great to see you again, Justin. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player, share it with other parents in your life, and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents. So let's spread the love.